to uh, to our discussion, and um, so I'm going to do some review too, in case you weren't here, so you don't feel lost. But this this idea that we're talking about is we're talking about the now and the not yet, and if you can get a hold of this concept, it's, it will impact you in the way that you live this life and the way that you understand the Scripture and the way that you deal with issues and all sorts of things. And so it's very important for us to grasp. Um, so I'm actually going to move into the discussion of this as well on the weekends for a little while. It'll, it'll come at it. I'll come at it from a little different direction because I don't have time to draw charts and do all the other stuff that I have to do. So we'll, we'll set sort of the theology up for it. Uh, here over, uh, you know, this week and, and uh, reviewing last week and where we're going to go. But it's that tension between the now and the not yet. And so um, what, we, what we sort of set up last week is that um, we, we live in this, this tension of the now and the not yet. So um, just quickly as a review, um, there's this word in the Greek, aeon, which is uh, translated age. Uh, in some translations, it's translated world, which has confused a lot of folks. Um, like in Matthew 12, 32, uh, in, in, in the King James, it said, Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it won't be forgiven him either in this world or in the world to come. But uh, they're taking the, world, the word aeon and translating it world, but really the... the uh, there's a Greek word cosmos that translates better world. Aeon is more about time. So in the NIV, it translated that same verse this way, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. And so um, what, what I'm looking at there in the verse, and I'm, there's a lot going in there, but, but um, the, the idea is this age and the age to come. And so the entire sweeps of, of man's existence is set forth in the terms of this age and the age to come. Uh, in Ephesians 1.21, we looked at this last week, it said, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Mark 10, 29 and 30, we looked at this last week. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive... A hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So all these verses make it clear that we're talking about two periods of time, two ages, if you would, not two worlds. And so in this age, um, we're to expect hostility to the gospel. Uh, in the age to come, those who have followed Christ will be freed from all opposition and sufferings and will enjoy eternal life. And then we trace the concept a little further, and we discover that these two ages are separated by the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24, 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of the coming of the end of your age, uh, the end of this age? So the second coming, from that verse we understand, is what separates or what, what changes this age into the age to come. Um, another verse, and, and this I didn't talk about last week, but I, I want to talk about it this week, but I don't think I put this one in your notes. It's Luke 20, 34 through 36. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and, uh, as they can no longer die, for they're like the angels. They're God's children, since they are children 
of the resurrection. Uh, and in that verse too, you know, in, in a lot of these verses, if you go and look at them, um, you, like the angels, they can never live or die. It's not that when you go from here, you become an angel. That's not great theology, okay? You're, you're, not, you're, not, getting a, you're not becoming an angel. You don't get wings. You, you continue to be you in a, in a glorified body, in a perfect state, and that's what's happening, okay? So not only is it the uh, second coming that separates this age and the age to come, it's the resurrection um, of the dead. So that, that will terminate, so there's the resurrection happens here, all right? And so that's the transition, um, if you would, uh, in the happens. And so, and these two ages are different. We looked at these. This age is, is, uh, has a very evil uh, flavor to it because of the little g-god of this world, the enemy. Uh, the age to come is perfect. And so we put them on different sort of planes. And when we said that Galatians 1.4, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so what we, what we said here was is there's this age, the age had come, but something has happened because at the cross uh, and at the resurrection of Jesus, uh, something took place in that he inaugurated the kingdom. And so the kingdom is here, but it will be fully here when he comes back. And so what we live in right now is this tension between the ages. And so this is very important. So we're in tension. And because of our culture, we don't like to be in tension. We like things to be either black or white. We don't like things to be in tension. But you have to understand tension or you're going to get frustrated in the Scripture. And you get frustrated with what it looks like it says it's supposed to happen. But when it doesn't happen, you go, why isn't it happening? Well, it's because we're still in tension. Because the kingdom is here, but not fully here. And so we have to begin to embrace that in every area of our lives. Um, this week on Sunday, I'll be talking about it in the terms of sanctification. And, and so, you know, as a heads up, remember, I, and I, I, I spend time talking about salvation here a lot with you guys and what it means. And I, I said that, you know, salvation there's, has three tenses. We have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. And, and those three tenses are explained by three theological terms justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I, I don't like to give terms all the time, but you, you, those are three that you should know as a believer. And so um, we have, when, when you come to Christ, you've been saved. You're justified. That's what justification means. Remember, I always tell you, remember it just as if I'd never sinned. And it's an amazing, amazing concept because God chooses to see us from that point on in the perfection of His Son. And so that's happened. However, the reality is, and so have some tension here, even though God is choosing to see us in the perfection of His Son, we're still a mess, right? I mean, if we're honest, they, we, we, just because that happened, we didn't, we're not perfect. I don't know anybody that's perfect, uh, and, and so we're in process. And that process is sanctification, and what happens is we get saved as part of that thing. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, and then He's helping us uh, in, in this life that we're living in this present age, he's helping us to be changed over time to be more and more like Christ. And that's the process. And it's the process that people struggle with. It's the, uh, because they, they don't like the, the tension that's involved because, well, I'm saved. Yes, you are saved, but you're not perfect yet. You're, you're in process. You're being sanctified. And what will happen is when Jesus comes back for us or when we go to be with him, whatever that looks like, you'll be glorified. The process is over. So you're, you're saved justified, you're being saved, sanctified, you will be saved, glorified. 
But it's all caught up in that idea of salvation. So it's a process. And, and it's good to know that we're in process because we're transitioning. And in effect, we're transitioning already from this age to the age to come. But we won't be fully transitioned until Jesus comes back or we with him or however that looks like. So, but we're in process. And, and so we're, we're living in this area. Some people want to live down here more, and they'll say, like, none of the miracles can happen anymore, and there's no healing anymore, and there's none of those things, and they're living very close to this edge in the tension. Other people will go, it should always happen, and there, there shouldn't be anything holding it back because they, they want to be on that side because they don't like the tension. But the reality is we're living in here somewhere, and we know that God can break through at any time because he has, because it happened at the cross. God came, fully God, fully man. He entered the scene, boom. Talk about tension, fully God, fully man. Um, Jesus entered the scene, and the kingdom is here, but not fully here until he comes back, and we're waiting on his return. And so that's what's taking place, and the, the character of this age is evil. Uh, we'll, we'll look at some parables in the, in the coming one, but let me just read a couple. In Matthew 13, uh, it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 22, it says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So the burden of this age, and that's what we'll be looking at this weekend, is, is not just the worry and the trouble and the anxiety of trying to, to make it here. Um, it's the sort of the entire spirit which characterizes this age, which is worry and anxiety about not only our physical life, but also the pressure and the drive of ambition for wealth, success, prosperity, and power. And see, that's our culture. And, and that's what we struggle with because our culture lives um, in, in this place of having to have everything now. Our culture has almost no room for delayed gratification whatsoever. And that's what keeps us in trouble because we're frustrated all the time and we think we constantly have to be working in order to achieve what we need right now. And so we never rest. And, and rest is a huge part of the Christian life. And, and then even understanding rest, which is more than just not working. Because some people can not work and not rest. Um, the rest that God's talking about is a rest that comes from understanding that he's in control and that he's ordered things and we can step back from that. We don't have to earn anything or do anything, we can just in, live in that sort of spot where we embrace this tension, and, and then our soul can come to rest, which is that underlying theme of our Sunday sermon, right? That we're supposed to be experiencing righteousness, His righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit as believers, and that by and large, huge chunks of believers aren't experiencing peace and joy because they're constantly at work trying to get everything straightened out now instead of stepping back and letting God have it. So we'll be talking more and more about that. But that's part of the character of this age and it's part of the plan of the enemy to keep you from life. Remember, I've been telling you that for over the last long period of time. Steal, kill, and destroy. What he's trying to do. Because if he can keep you engaged like the culture and being so set up on all you want to do is try and get everything fixed right now, you're ineffective in your Christian life, which is a win for him. Uh, he's already lost you, but he wants to keep you from influencing anybody else because you won't lose anybody else. So, um, so, so there's this conflict that we talked about, and this is kind of where I had you set up 
last week, and that, that there's this overlap that happened back here because we know that's existing and you know what's happened. Well, the book of Revelation uh, gives us some information about another overlap on the other side of the second coming, which you, you need to know about because it will help you tie in some of that stuff in Scripture. Uh, so Revelation 19 says this, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, it's a passage about the second coming. That's what the second coming is going to be pretty impressive. You're not going to miss it, by the way. So, Scripture makes it clear that you... Because people always already come back. No, you, you will not miss it. You will, you will not be in doubt at all. So uh, let's look at another passage about the age to come in Revelation 21, 1 through 7. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So you, you, if you, now you think about creation. We talked about you go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1. God created the heavens and the earth right? So in effect, here's what you need to know. The Bible, apart from sin, would be a pamphlet of Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Everything else is about the fall. If that hadn't taken place, we'd have a pamphlet of how things were going to happen. So because of the fall, things get recreated. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Pretty cool. And then verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So and another concept that I think we have is when we think about heaven, we always think about us heading up. But you, you, you understand that it, it's, what it is is a reintegration of heaven and earth. Remember in creation, when we talked about creation, and I said what, what happened was that, that God created a place where heaven and earth could, could dwell. The, the, it, it could happen there in the, in the perfection of the garden. God came and walked, and everything was good. There was no sin. And then when sin came, boom, that blew apart. And then, you know, over time, what we had was we had the tabernacle and then the temple, and now we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, and we're sort of carrying that around. But there's a reintegration is what happens when everything gets set straight. So you, you need to sort of have that concept. The Holy City is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We're heading back to what was in the beginning. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, the order that happened with the fall. He was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. To him who's thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this. 
I will be his God, and he will be my son. So after the passage of the second coming of Christ, and before the passage that I just read you about the age to come, the book of Revelation talks about an interesting period of time, a thousand years. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and looked uh, and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received the mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we need to add that to our diagram, and that's here on this side. Oh, my pen went dry because I sat there and talked for so long. I do. As long as this is a, yeah, it's a dry erase marker. Cool. So now we have this period of time over here, and, and that period of time is called the millennium. All right, and, and we know how long that period of time is. It's a thousand years. So, remember, uh, oh, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, we were doing a study on prophecy, and I talked about a thing called the, um, the prophetic perspective. And what I said was the prophets, when they were back here looking at what was to come, they, they would look at this and they couldn't see the distance in time between these events. So a lot of the prophetic stuff looks like these all happen to them at the same time. But here this time exists that they can't see because they're looking this way. If you see what I'm doing on the board. And, and all you can tell is these events happening. So they actually couldn't tell the, the difference between the first and the second coming. And they couldn't tell about this millennial reign. They couldn't tell a lot of this stuff that's in there that we know about because they couldn't see it. Because when they were looking, it just looked like it all happened pretty quickly together. But... Um, these events are, are held, and, and, uh, um, and, and we get some picture of a time sequence. And so the, the transition from this age to the age to come isn't in one single event. It's, it's over time. There's stages of it. And there's, there's resurrections. We, we just read about that. There's one at the beginning of the millennium. Uh, we just read about that. And then there's another one at the end of the millennium. I, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been in authority judge. I saw the souls had been beheaded. They had not worshipped the beast's image, had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and raised with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years of This is the first resurrection. So there's a resurrection here of the believers and the people that have held fast and true. And then in Revelation 20, 12, 13, there's a second resurrection at the end. Everybody else, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave the dead were in it, and death and Hades gave it the dead were in them. And each person was judged according to what he was done. But 
what they were looking for here was if their name was in the book of life or not. So that's the big deal. So this modifies our diagram a little bit. So there's this period of time, this thousand years where Christ rules and reigns. And then, fascinatingly, at the end of it, Satan has to be released again. What in the world is that all about? Well, here's what happens. Apparently, some people enter into this time still as people. And, and, and because they survive whatever the tribulation looks like or whatever, but there's a small group that hasn't, you know, been beheaded, lopped off, all those things. They haven't been already caught up to the Lord. Um, and, and in some sort of time period of tribulation that they survive, but on, only they're going to be believers when they survive it at that point. That's the only ones that will survive that tribulation time will be whatever believers that aren't killed and, and, and automatically caught up to the Lord in that process. They will enter this millennium reign sometime somehow and still apparently be able to have children. And they will have children in a perfect society where Christ rules and reigns, but at some point, they still have to be given a choice to choose whether they want to follow Jesus or not because he gives everybody a choice or else he, it's not real. And so the enemy will have one last little cleanup shot to deceive whoever he might. I don't know what that looks like, but that's something that's coming. So, so that's happening. But um, this is sort of the diagram. So when you start reading about things, you can start putting some things together as far as tension goes and where you're at and what's happening. Um, but, but, you know, this overlap, and I read you these verses last week, Hebrews 6, 5. We have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of this coming age. So it's still coming, it's still present, but it has broken through and continues to break through the power of the age to come into this present age. So that's why we pray. That's, that's why we have faith. That's, that's what we... Um, why we can ask God to do things. It's why we believe in miracles. We live in, live in attention that they can happen. And so we're, we're asking, in effect, we're praying, God, since when you come, Jesus, when you come, you're going to set everything straight. Everything's going to be dealt with. Would you break through and do it now? And we're asking him to do that, and sometimes he does because we see things happen when we pray. We see, we see miracles take place still. We still people get, see get healings. We see all sorts of stuff. But we don't, when we're honest, we don't always see them because I prayed for people and nothing. Well, you would say, well, then why do we pray? Because I prayed for people and something, sometimes. And I don't, and it's not, and you could sit there and try and figure it out. Well, I wasn't doing it right. God won't let me do that. He's never going to let me have a formula for doing it right or not. I just have to know that he's God and that my, my whole thing is, I, God, because I, I know you can, if it's, you know, it's, would you do it? And then he gets to be sovereign and he does it. Uh, and you know, it's hard for us to live in the tension because we, we want everything right now. But, you know, everybody, everybody that's a believer ultimately gets healed. You know that, right? It may not be the way we want it, but we all get glorified at some point. We get brand new bodies. Everybody gets a new one. You might get some sort of temporary healing, but none of us are going out of here with this. We, we get something new, something much better. So, but we hang pretty tenaciously onto this which is kind of funny sometimes. <laughs> so, but I get it, right? So anyway, all those things are coming. And, and, uh, and so because of that, it's, it's a taste, right? Uh, in Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We get a, we get a taste. Uh, a taste isn't as good as the whole banquet, but it's better than nothing. A taste is a, is, can be a pretty good thing. It's an actual experience. So we have tasted the power of the age to come. 
And he rescues us um, by the power of the age to come because he reached back, projected himself into the whole situation. And so Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We often will read that. They translate it there a lot of times. Don't be transformed by the pattern of this world. And we go, oh, but it's actually age. This time. It's the word that's A on there. So this period of time. So, um, so how do we live in this tension? You know, how do we live in the midst of an evil age and not be conformed to it? And so we're to experience an inner transformation which is the result, in effect, of the age to come moving back into us as the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and He's changing us. And so um, we can experience this, this very real power now in this present evil age because of who He is and what He's doing. So He's not left us alone. There's one amazing verse that ties this in really well. So if you, if you forget everything that I've talked about tonight, uh, try and remember this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 26. Paul says it. It's fascinating. He said this, For as in Adam, all die. So, that's here. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes... Those who belong to him. First resurrection. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Which happens there. So Paul just puts this right out in the verses. This is what it looks like for us. And, and it's very helpful to remember. So as an Adam all died, we know that, you know, the fall took place after the creation in here. And this present evil age starts from, you know, from that, what it looks like. But in Christ, all we've made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, sorry, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. And, and then at the end will come when he hands it all over. So, so you know, we, we get to ultimately this point at some point in time. And then it's all new, all, all brand new, everything fixed. No more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more mess, no more junk, no more shame. I, you know, just back to the way it was supposed to be. And, and all of us in perfect relationship with God and with one another. So kind of dwell on that. And then uh, this weekend, and over the next few weekends, we're going to come at it from a slightly different angle. But I wanted you to make sure you had these scriptures in there so that you have the, the, the background for what we're going to be talking about and the struggle that we have in um, really dealing with this concept of now and not yet in practical ways in our lives and what that looks like. So that's enough. If you're watching my video, thank you. Um, come and check us out when you can. And uh, that's all I got. Prayer request. Why don't you send up your prayer request to me? And I will.